0: everybody. Welcome back. You are listening to The Exorcist TV Show Fan Podcast. My name is Tina. And I'm Zoe. And I'm Gaia. And we are so thankful to have you listening to us again after a bit of a break that we that we took, but uh, it, it has been such a joy doing this. I'm just so glad that we were able to uh, come together again and record. For, and this time we're doing episode four of season two on, um oh my gosh one
1: uh, one
0: for Zarei one for one for Zorro, yes see I'm I'm like so like overjoyed to just see you guys again blah blah blah, blah I can't, <laughs> the words don't go good sometimes so <laughs> um yeah I loved it I, I I I missed Tomas and Marcus I hadn't seen them in forever and it was like my my babies and my friends yeah
2: wait a minute I totally it. agree.
0: And yeah, what an episode true. to
1: come back to, though! What an episode to come back to! I've been waiting so long for this episode, so long. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. What is that, Zoe? What? What? What
0: could it have been that you like about this episode? I wonder. Oh, oh I wonder. I, wonder. <laughs> <laughs> I was
2: rewarded with some very nice
1: outfit choices for Marcus. I mean, or lack of outfit choices, I suppose. <laughs> Shameless objectification of his arms, yes, that's in there. Agreed. Yes, very <laughs> nice. Like, yeah, yeah. But like, how long have I been waiting to talk about frigging night terrors oh and my gosh. The, and oh my the God. dude from my house and the fact that the, the stuff in this episode, in this episode, episode, the stuff in this episode happened to me, and I have been sitting on these stories for so long, going, I can't wait to episode four, can't wait, and now we're back, and I get sexy Marcus arms and night terrors. <laughs> <laughs> if like, i balance my joy and my fear but, yeah. i i i
0: Agreed. Like there is, there's equal parts sexiness and joy and euphoria, and equal parts sheer terror in this episode. Like there's, there's so many highs, and then like ah, (laughs) my, my soul can't handle these kinds of ups and downs. So, but it, but it's a fantastic episode. I loved it. I loved it. Like by the end, like my heart was beating like crazy to see that that demon creature, which harkened back to my own personal experiences with sleep paralysis and seeing what I thought were demons and thinking I was crazy. Well then, let's go. Let's 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 go ahead. So we've got um, our our uh, in traditional form. We usually like to go through that intro, the um the the opening se- sequence before even the music begins. We like to talk about that. So we've got the the visual of Bennett and we've got Mouse with the now integrated. Uh, female exorcist that is in that circle. It was, it's it's crazy opening and you got that music playing in the background.
1: Yes, Jesus loves me. So, uh, I don't know. Where were we with that? It's, it's a, Compared to most episodes, it's a very small introduction. It's literally just to like, this is a scene that's happening. Bam! Into the credits. So you're like, wait, what? Time presses? Any more information? No, no. We're literally not finding out anything really more about what's going on apart from the fact that she likes to sing one, two, three in Spanish. <laughs> That's what I
2: took away from that moment. <laughs> no, no. Well, I have something to say about that, uh, that scene in truth because we can see for the first time uh, what the church is doing to the exorcist. They are not only killing them, they are uh, integrating them when they are too strong as enemies, and above all, why is the fallen angel inside the nun so bothered by that honestly annoying song? It's because uh, it's sung by children, and we can't forget that what really bothers a demon is innocence. So, it's uh, for me, it's a deep, a very deep scene. Very short, but very important too. Like the following scene, yeah, the one with Andy and the children, when Andy uh, uh, introduces the idea that Harper is coming. It's, uh, it's very well done because we see all the children all together, but we have to wonder about something. Verity is worried that she'll have to share uh, her room with Harper. We know that two of the guys have, are already sharing a room. Gracie is the younger one. Wasn't she supposed to share a room with Verity? And why no one is interacting with her?
0: See, and that's where on the rewatch, I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes, like, what you're saying makes so much sense. Like, we should have been, I should have had, like, 20,000 bells going off. Like, why? But, again, it was done so well to trick us. They were so tricky up to even that, you know, we've got that scene where they're all in the same room together that they just, you know, made it look like she existed, so all those things that would normally happen, just n- none of those bells went off in in my head because it just they did it so expertly of hiding her true form,
2: yeah, from us. That's very true, yeah, indeed. And even the actors are so good because, of course, the person is there with them, but they totally ignore her. They really gives you the The feeling that they don't even see that little girl sat on the bed close to Verity. They are very, very good. The scene is well-written, well-shooted, but it's also well-acted.
0: Yes, yes.
2: So that is, on this rewatch, watching
0: her you know, saying, I don't, what does she say to him? She shouldn't be here. You know, it sounds like she's contributing to the conversation. Now with the knowledge that I know she doesn't exist, I'm watching the faces of the other uh, kids in the room as Andy reacts to her. So Andy is saying, are we all in agreement? Is that clear? That's what he said. Is it clear? Is that, and and Grace then responds and says, and, and says, "Uh," and he goes, is that clear? It sounds like he's like, you know, responding to her and all the other kids are kind of, but but to see Grace then leave, and I'm looking at the kids' faces, I'm like, they're reacting to him talking to nobody. And th- that's why she yeah. says, like, Brianna Hildebrand's character says, he's just stressed when he, because he just raised his voice to us after nobody said anything. He said, is that clear? Is that clear? Like, you, if you were to say that, as a, you can tell as a kid, like, that is that is some weird stuff. And so she she acts it well as, like, something is off about him but it it never even occurred to me to watch that until until
1: now with this new knowledge oh it's so insane re-watching it and thinking of what those kids must be thinking as he's answering a child that isn't there and it's it's that bit when like because when you're watching it you're like you know the first time around you're convinced that she's part of it you just don't think that she's not because she's there and she's interacting and then she gets up because she's upset and he follows her because she's upset (laughs) And, but then she's saying, oh, yeah, he's just stressed. And I'm like, why would she have said, oh, no, it would be like, she would have said, oh, no, Gracie's not taking it. Right, that. right. Like, or like, it's like, don't worry, let Andy deal with Gracie. That would have been such a, and it's like, how did you miss that? How did you miss those normal interactions and lines that would have happened in that situation? And then when you watch it again with the knowledge, you're like, God, it's so obvious. Yes, <laughs> it's I, so obvious. Yes, I really didn't get it the first it time. Really... And I'm like, I... I spot all kinds of weird stuff, you know. But the thing is, they continue to frame her existence because after that, he follows her out and then she's by the doorway. And then every episode has been a red herring of which child is possessed. And then by this point, it's like, okay, it's totally Gracie that's clearly possessed because, like, the thing has crossed the threshold, possessed her, it's shut the door, and it's a bit spooky, and then she's acting like oh, like she's having these weird blackouts from which she doesn't remember what a supernatural event will happen, and then she kind of blacks out from it. And she talks and, to it, remember? Like, she
0: looks at the corner of the room, she talks yeah, to the demon.
1: What's doing? So you're like, oh my God. You're like, at this point, you're still thinking, well, she's obviously possessed. That's why all the weird stuff is happening around her now. And one of the things I notice is when she leaves the room and walks down the stairs is they use all the gray colors. This is the episode where all the grades come back in from series one. You notice everything is muted, the house is grey, all those lush colour tones are just subdued. And she goes down, you see the like the fog rolling in and like and it's all like everything's framed is like spooky, stuff is going down, it's haunted. Whatever was living in the woods is now in the house. And at that point you're thinking, it's only just crossed the threshold. You're still it's still tricking you into believing it only just like breezed its way in through her little girl's bedroom window. It's trying to come through the door. It hasn't quite entered, it nearly got in, and then it comes in later. It just totally throws you off the end, Give you all these little signatures, yeah. and yeah. so well yeah. done.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you only later realize that that's only a trick. Because uh, at some point, at this point, you believe that the house is the safe place and everything evil is outside. But, but, We realize soon enough that it's the opposite. The danger is inside the house. In a few scenes, we are going to see the windows breaking from the inside, not from the outside. And we finally have an explanation to why the birds basically committed suicide in the past episode because they were trying to stop the evil from coming out oh oh I,
0: yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a different spin on it like they there I, I thought of them as just like these these you know harbingers of th- these signs of, of when bad stuff happens they come around but you're proposing that they the crows actually were
2: were trying yeah. to keep it the crows yeah, they are trying to keep her inside because crows are very deeply related to souls. They understand, they can feel, they can they are very smart birds and in almost every culture they are related to death and souls and sometimes even the difference between light and darkness, good and evil. So, it's not a case that The first time she comes out from the house, a flock of crowds put her back inside, committed suicide, poor beast, because we know what happens to them. But there is a strong connection between uh, their role in different cultures and the moment they have to sacrifice something to stop the evil, at least for now.
0: That's amazing because it, it, that spins my view of crows so much. That idea that they're actually not the ones that like, like a demon familiar, you know, like they, like they use to scare people. The demon will send them out and they're out and, and, it, and it looks scary. But in this kind of view of it, the crow is the one that's a, a, like a helper in a way for the, for the side yeah. of good kind of.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because in uh- In many cultures, they are both things. It depends on how you use them, on who is strong enough and powerful enough to control them. For example, in in Greek culture, they were white once. But because they dared to tell Apollo that one of his lovers was cheating on him, he got mad and turned them into black beasts. But uh, in the Catholic culture, uh, some saints have crowds all around them because they are messengers too, and they can feel when a soul or a place is in danger. Usually, when you see a whole flock of crows uh, flying away from a place, something bad is happening in that place. Right, right, right. <laughs>
0: Oh man, yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah, and, and all the all the visuals they do with the animals and and in in this season are really cool. Like they even have those like the caterpillars. No, they don't show the little caterpillars, but they're making the webs. Isn't that what Marcus and Tomás see? Yeah, exactly,
2: they, they, well, exactly.
0: Because well, I remember growing up and seeing those those. I I thought they were spider webs, but they're 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 made by, but still the visual of them looks creepy, and it and, and they were they were smart to have those kinds of visual reminders of you know and then of course the lamb looking so deformed so continuously creating animals as part of this other this universe of characters to to put us on edge and in the in these horror feelings um i love
2: it and there is there is a fish too at some point when we yes when peter and yeah, uh, that too is uh, uh, is important because we can't forget that um, the fish that in Greece is ichthus is one of the way Christ was represented in the beginning of the Catholic era when uh, to be a Catholic was was still against the law. So. To indicate a place where you could meet to pray, they draw a fish oh, yeah, on the place. Yeah, that's. I, I because, forgot about it. Yeah,
0: it's, it's Yeah, it has the little, the little X kind of. Uh, because
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. exactly, technically, Ictius was used as Jesus Christos, Theou um, Huiosoter. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Creator.
0: <sighs> that's cool. Now that that's so amazing. Like the fish reference already. All I saw being again the the very much like I watch and like ew, that's gross. Like I saw the fish and I'm like <laughs> with his big like scary teeth and I'm like gross. But yeah. But even kind of like those. It's again, it's a kind of biblical connection still by even using. Exactly. A a fish instead of, they could easily use like a, I don't know, a a snail or a, you know, but something that has a little bit deeper connotations in the history. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And he was a monster fish, like the lamb who was born deformed. This kind of fish is kind of a monster. So uh, you take something that is uh, very deeply rooted in the Catholic religion and you twist. (sighs) Oh my gosh, yeah, (laughs) that's, oh, you blow my mind, guy. Like, that
0: is, that is so deep. Like, again, I don't think they just coincidentally have this. And I, you can, some people could hear this and be like, you guys are stretching it a lot. Like, no, no, I think, I think these are very like purposeful decisions. Like even, okay, so when you're talking about that twist, it reminds me of something I want to talk about later, but I'll talk about it now because I'm like super excited, is how even the music choices in this episode even at the very end there's this they're they're bright and uplifting when he's with grace it's a it's a beautiful kind of and it's happy and then when it changes over to the perspective the viewpoint of brianna hildebrand's character as she's watching it becomes in a minor key and very chilling music so it's that same recurring theme of taking something that 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 sounds pretty and light and good and and then it twists and then it twists and gets darker and uh i loved i loved the music just, just listening to that find that in in the end of the episode i was getting all these goosebumps again like this is
2: just it creeps me out oh. i will go for the tomas scene uh i think it's yeah. very important this scene is very important because Thomas is finally realizing what Marcus is trying to tell him since the beginning. To be an exorcist, it means to be alone. He is starting to realize that. He is very close to his family. He loves his family. He adores his nephew. But he must understand that uh, he's putting them in danger, they are his weak weak spot. The church went to Olivia to find him. Also, for the first time since forever, we can suppose he forgot about his nephew's birthday. He's finally touching with his own hands what Marcus is trying to tell him since episode one. And we know he's still not getting it fully. But he's starting to realize how lonely this life really is. He can't have strings attached because those strings make them weaker.
0: No, no, and he, that's very has, sad because it's 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 super hard to watch because you you see him and he acted so well that you know he, he's like oh my gosh it's su and he's just his head drops and you feel for him and, and and what he is sacrificing what he has to give up in order to take this huge quest on.
2: And that's the light motive of the whole episode. How lonely they really are how deeply alone those two priests are. One, because he has lost his only connection, his only source of strength that is uh, God speaking to him. The other one, because he is finally starting to realize what he must sacrifice in order to become the priest and the exorcists, we know he can become, he must become because we see, we learn from uh, Sister Dolores and from Mouse and Bennett that the war is already here, they are losing the war, and they really need both Marcus and Thomas right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is why, it, you know, we say that they're so lonely, but as their relationship grows, they soon realize that they're stronger together, and so I think it's a great, you know, scene to see Tomas alone, but then the transition as he walks inside to greet uh, his brother in arms and help him out in a in a very special way, you know, stitching him up, which is I, I, again in the in the typical like movie and film, this is done it, it, a lot of times by a female that that's, there's a seek there's a sequence where the the broken hero who needs to be stitched up he has the 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 female woman coming in to help him out and it, you see it over and over and so this is one of the first times that i can remember seeing um in a in a male male relationship friendship this closeness where uh where his brother is was doing it for him so uh so zoe what what do you, <laughs> what what were your thoughts in the scene i'm just i'm just dying to know your, your deep analysis, really very academic scene, analysis.
1: My deep analysis, of, oh, it's so academic, so academic. In all oh, honesty, this, this scene was just a little bit, like, <laughs> foreign to me, really. It was just like, I mean, because I, I love it when, when my heroes are injured and tor- and tortured, and he's like, oh, no. But, like, damn, black top <laughs> top, like... Oh, it really brings out his (laughs) arms and this guy is clearly in super good shape did you see how defined they were he's so lithe, so lithe. but you could just imagine how strong they they don't have to be big muscular they're like they're they're strong arms of a man who works and uses those (laughs) arms but oh they're really nice arms like really nice arms like yeah, they're really nice, he's so beautiful, what, what, uh, he's so beautiful. And also he does like, he's both British and Texas. Well. I, 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 like,
0: mm-hmm. I love your perspective like, oh. when you're, you're good at seeing, you know, visual, like the way the camera shoots something. I would love your thoughts on, on the visual of, of, you know, Marcus
1: <laughs> up and, and oh, oh. Tomas well, on his knees. I mean, they do, they, they do like to shoot, whenever they're trying to kind of frame Marcus, they always do like to shoot him from below. Have you noticed on his sexier shots, the camera is lower, so you could look up to him. And it's always like, Ooh, look at this beautiful vision. And it's just like, yes, I do look up to this. This is lovely, <laughs> I'm enjoying this. And it's like, on the bed. And then also like, Tomas comes in and, and it is that, that trip. This is one of the first times that I really noticed just how homoerotic some of their stuff is is filmed. Like there's been homoerotic fist fights before because <laughs> men fighting always looks homoerotic to me. But this was so much like, I can't help it, this is the world I live in. <laughs> they just need to look at each other and I'm like, mm-hmm, yes, yes, of course. That's why you're pounding on him. But this one was just like, and I will tend to your and even to the like you get the action hero that's always like, Ow, and does that like fake but like, mm. and the guy going, Stop being silly but normally it's the woman's role and Thomas is like, Stop <laughs> being a baby, let me soothe your wound. Oh, poor boo boo and I may have added some lines in there that weren't there, but you know, that's what I was seeing. And and he does. He turns him up, and he's all like sweet. But they're like the personal space. Like you could tend the person, and then you're like, we're yeah, going to be like yeah. this far apart. And I'm going to continuously hold on to you. And you're also, you're sitting on on the bed, and like Thomas is willingly like in a position slightly lower than. And it's just mm-hmm. filmed like a romantic couple. So the whole thing, plus the low lighting. I don't know, like how much porn you guys to Wait, but, like, how much porn? Those, like low. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, like, you know, when you want to try and make something feel a bit like warm and a little bit erotic, you do like soft, tender tones. Like, romance scenes are kind of shot lighter, and it's like, and you also, you always kind of have the bed framed in a way that, like, there's a bed in this scene. It might not be used, but, like, there's a bed in this scene. But it had all these warm, like, tender, like, tones that, like, this is a nice, warm, cozy environment. It's low lit, there's a bit of lovely sunlight coming in for them, and I'm sitting there going, (laughs) <laughs> yeah this is homoerotic and yeah. those are like whew. I mean even Marcus putting clothes back on looks hot because he picks like what's the tightest thing I own I'm like dude, dude did, did, I mean I'm all for this but he's like he literally peels it back onto himself it's like oh yes I am <laughs> in my tight top and it's, and it's also that thing it's like I used to be a priest and now I'm totally dressing like I've got the freedom to do whatever <laughs> it's like no wonder Peter comes on to him later because he's just like I'm no longer a priest so I'm going to wear really yeah. tight black stuff like and be like yeah this is my body <laughs> it's, it's just a weird juxtaposition of this episode of him like mourning mm-hmm. the loss of him being a priest and at the same time starting to kind of enjoy being a man oh yeah And you can kind of see shades of this going in this episode. like, And it's just like, he's kind of like for the first time allowing himself to be a man that's not just a man, but a man who's attractive and a man someone might be attracted in and kind of like just slightly playing on those boundaries. Yeah. I still have my faith. I don't miss the church. But actually, I kind of, I like my body. Like, because he's obviously clearly comfortable with it because he likes to... That reminds me, I love how you say that
0: he's going from you know, uh, this kind of man of God to a man. And it reminds me of that conversation he has with Peter later on in this episode where Peter asks him, you're not a priest anymore. Then what are you? And he says, uh, God knows, which is again, another well-written line, because again, we say casually God only knows just like we say that meaning, Oh, I don't, I don't know who knows. But to specifically say God knows as well, it's another way of saying, well, god does have a plan for me maybe uh he he will tell me later i don't know but uh yeah he's now he's trans transitioning into this other role
1: yeah other. No, yeah and now that he doesn't have god totally talking to him he's starting to think about making decisions that aren't totally based on like the mm-hmm. religious standpoint like can he allow himself to maybe think romantically maybe Think, even family-wise, because the tender relationships he builds with female characters in these two shows, just see this beautiful like father figure and like parts of his life that he can deny. So it's not just Marcus like the, the sexy beast, it's like, you know, Marcus has this tender, loving, very wonderful father figure within him. He also has this really beautiful romantic soul that you think is just looking for love. And he's also very late to the party coming into this idea of like his own sexual desire and it being a choice. I know I'm skipping little scenes a bit, but he has this conversation with Andy about being in the boys' school. And Andy has that look in his face of like, I know what happened to you in that school, and I know it couldn't have been good. Like, And he's like, just kind of that slight implication that obviously Marcus has had experiences that may not have been consensual and what he enjoyed. And now he's finally getting to a place where he can make his own decisions about mm-hmm. these things.
0: Agreed. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. So Absolutely! Thank you for that perspective. Right now we're going to talk a little bit about Harper's arrival uh, in the course of the entire episode and that, and that kind of impact and what we saw there. So what, I, I love, I love, I love Harper. I love the little actor that played her. Oh my gosh. She was so brilliant in, in this. And, uh, gosh, she's, yeah, the first thing that pops into my mind is just her innocence that still kind of exudes from her in, in, in every scene she's in as she walks in and, and sees Marcus for the first time and they, and they hug and, and, um, and there's that, su- again, yeah, I'm terribly termed, that sweetness that comes out. Um, I just, I, I love her. So what, what,
1: what were your thoughts on her arrival? and? What's interesting is when she they, they do the first like arrival in the boat scene where they get on the boat and you see it coming to the island and it's all sunshine and beautiful and it's like the sun is glistening off the trees, the colours are vibrant, it's lovely. When they get off at the dock, the sun seems to have gone away and it, everything starts getting grey and it looks like it may have been raining and it just goes from this is bright and hopeful, we've gotten off the boat, yeah, the colour palette has yeah. changed, like immediately. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: And also Tomas' whole body language changed totally. The moment he steps on the dock, he's like, oh my God, we should go back now because I can feel something very bad is going to happen. Of course, no one is listening.
0: Is <laughs> I heard like Zoe, you were saying about yeah. the chattering of the demon voices. I, I would love to... T-
1: yes you can hear all the like the yeah, female yeah
0: voices
1: going and so my cartoon brain immediately
0: when i'm hearing trees. that i'm like writing my notes i'm going what are the demon whispers saying because we hear the demon whispers in a lot of movies it's always like ah. i'm like are they saying and it sounds like they were going lies lies that's what i heard in this episode but like what do you think the the voice actors are instructed to do like what do they actually say it'd be like really cool if they were saying stuff that like was evil and dark but what if they were just like watermelon i don't know
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something that sounds really sinister when you kind of make it really long like I would like let George I don't know I don't know they're just running off a shopping bill two pints of milk <laughs> three eggs <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. did you say buy <laughs> eggs is that what you just I said, buy, eggs. <laughs> buy, eggs. Yeah, <laughs> buy eggs that's on the shopping okay. list <laughs> that's was great. Sorry,
0: that was a little tangent again, but...
1: <laughs> but yeah, what's really interesting is when you hear all those voices, I still, to this day, believe that there's more than one entity on this island. I feel that this island is made up of a lot more. I think there is an overriding dark entity that's on this island, but I think a lot more of it. And I don't know why I think it's a her. I don't know why. I get that feeling there's like a, a, something... Female and primordial island, yeah. and all all the the other victims are all trapped on their island. And I think it's all those victims because at that moment, the same time this is happening, is you're getting that Andy and Grace tea party, and Grace starts exhibiting like the weird talking to something over there conversation. All the little things on the table all kind of roll off and get knocked out, and she's kind of blacking out, going, oh what just happened?" Yeah. So whatever this this main powerful entity, this evil, is currently with her. So when Marcus gets off the, the boat, it's all the victims, it's all the past tragedy that's stuck in the island trying to warn him that this place is not good. Get out while you can. It's that yeah. habit of like, Just get out. So I, th- I don't think it's the the main evil that he's picking up on. I think he's picking up on all those other tortured souls trying to warn him about what he's that's walking into. That's so cool.
0: Into. It's deep. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I, Thank you.
1: Yeah, go ahead, Kaya.
2: I... I always had a feeling watching this episode in particular and I totally agree with Zoe. Um the entity is a female one, a very ancient one. I have a feeling she's even more ancient than uh, Pazuzu it was. I think yeah, yeah, I was talking about that. Uh I always had the feeling that uh, it was a very ancient entity, even more ancient than uh, demons uh, like fallen angels and all that jazz, because uh, it it always gave me the the feeling it was like you know one of those uh, ancient goddess. Uh, Of mother, like a mother earth that had lost her worshippers because of the new religions growing stronger and stronger, and she's very pissed off about that. And she decided that this is my land, no one else is allowed here. And we know when a god or a goddess uh, begins to lose worshippers, they corrupt because basically they fed on the offers that the worshippers give them. So when they lose their income of energy and love, they end up twisted. And the entity on the island always gave me uh, this feeling. Like she was very powerful once, and now she's very pissed off because she had lost uh, her power oh, wow. and her worshippers. Oh, wow!
0: Yeah, yeah, that's 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 so cool. That's a cool spin on it too. Of this, the, of a character already being developed without us ever even seeing it. You know, just these these kinds of things, these feelings and these tones that they establish, and, and now we can create our own backstory, which as a that appeals to my you know fanfic writing loving heart because you can it, it, it's just such an expansive universe that they've already done here. Yeah, awesome. I did. Awesome. Well, what do we? I'm still kind of on some, some space case. Where? What? What do we want to do with our with our scenes? Do we want to continue to focus on, let's say, this scene? Do we want to focus on? Again, we had Harper's arrival as like a big
1: thing, but yeah. Well, the is, this this scene kind of keeps basically the scene keeps going because as we get the arrival, we then get Marcus spotting the like. Web, which we mm-hmm. find are actually silkworm webs in the trees. Um, you get Gracie kind of summoning, a, or it appears that she may have summoned a breeze to have knocked over that vase. And the you know, and the, the wind is blowing through the curtains, and it drops it knocks over that ball, and it rolls across. And so, all these little bits are all kind of building up to Harper actually getting to the door of the house. And then you see, like, obviously, Gracie with the sack in the stairway just inside the door, and she's fully knocked. Happy that another soul, especially another pure and innocent, like I was saying, that wonderful innocence, something so pure and innocent as Harper has now come into the house and adding a new like development, and also something that's going to take attention away from her because Andy's going to be mm-hmm. focused on the settling the new girl. So she's starting to get angry. Because at the time, like on the first watch, you're thinking she's just a normal little girl, and this thing's possessed her, and this thing's like, and then you're thinking, oh. Maybe Harper was possessed all all the time. There's going to be a clash of demons because like Harper's actual demon is going to meet this demon. They're going to advertise it on pay per view. A demon <laughs> showdown. And <that's>... Ultimate Smackdown. <laughs> <laughs> then, hey, the demon clash of the century. <laughs> now, you. Pazuzu versus Earth. Pazuzu versus Earth goddess or whatever. Like I thought. I thought is it going there? with this it? It's like, but it's just like it's all total misdirections all over the place. But obviously on a second watch, you know that. Yeah, Gracie's not part of it and she actually is the demon. So you know that the possessiveness and all the share powers mm-hmm. is to get Andy's attention and keep him focused. So, because she just wants him to herself, like all demons yeah, do it, and Yeah. that their claws into something. And,
0: and to piggyback off of what you just said with, you know, Grace being this visual looking so innocent and then Harper also looking so innocent, but it is the actual innocent one to have that those kind of two characters side by side. Um, again, it, it's that, it's that, constant clashing of of things that are 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 both positive and negative and just leave you with that that creepiness factor um but but yeah
1: i I just that was
0: cool i never thought of grace as like kind of like this mirror opposite to to harper
1: yeah and it's it's much more more obvious because when grace is there she's got her little like creepy sack head thing on her and she's standing (laughs) in the doorway and it's not a cute innocent little girl that's getting a bit jealous it's like there's something actually wrong here. This is this is not normal. And it's just because like, you see what an actual little innocent girl coming in mm-hmm. and you sit and it's like you're starting to think, yeah, Gracie must be possessed 'cause she's she's not right. Obviously we all know what what the twist, the twist is, but like, yeah, there's definitely a juxtaposition between these like little girls. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I, I Absolutely. love it.
2: And she's ob- she is so obsessed with uh, uh, the need to be Andy's favorite, the one he loves the m- she the one he loves the most, that at some point this uh, this kind of love it becomes very creepy because it began it it becomes sexual somehow. We know, we already know that Grace uh, is the embodiment of uh, the guilt and the feels about Nikki and her suicide. And we find out in this episode that he was in love with Rose too. That doesn't mean that he didn't love Nikki. It just means that he could love two girls. He has enough love for all the children, for two women, but he never did anything with Rose when he was with Nikki, but it's still one of the cause of the guilt that is eating him alive, because now that Nikki is gone, he probably is wondering unconsciously if she knew he was in love with Rose or other things, and all of this is making worse by Grace's presence in the house because Grace is the source of all those thoughts. At, at the same time, she came to handy because Andy was so vulnerable, so wounded. So, uh, yeah, this this kind of love and possession, it, sh- it shifts and it switches and it becomes creepy because you can see this it, little girl wants him in the wrong way it's, it is a love
0: when when love can turn and twist and become that deformed love that can be that toxicity. When it, when you, you see it in her face, like, but don't leave me, don't leave me. And, And she wants to, and it becomes more possessive and you feel it. You feel it. I think, you know, we as people who are around people a lot as educators, you know, Zoe working with kids and, and Guy, I'm sure you just see it in the writing side of character development. Of there, there is something just innate in humans. We know when something is good and right, and this is, this like Harper. This is what is good, and then you see Grace's the way that she talks, and acts and this something sits in us that goes, hmm. That that's a tw- that's that's a twist to the dark side, you know. It goes to the dark side, and 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 so we're right to feel that kind of awareness about her, and our spider senses go up around her, and she's. It, in my opinion, she is the visual visual representation of Andy's refusal to uh, to to deal with grief and loss in in a healthy way. So what exactly. he did in, in in his conversation. So remember when Tomas and Marcus first step into the house and they're meeting him, and and he reveals he reveals that he that Nikki's no longer with them. And he says it very detached. It's very cold. And and what Tomas says back is like I'm so sorry for your loss. And to somebody who maybe has gone through a healthy grief process, usually you can see in their body language, you can see it's still there, it's with me. But the way he reacts, do you remember what he says? He just goes very cold. He goes thank you and just like yeah. And just exactly. and, and it's you can you can see, and acted perfectly by uh John Cho of this What can happen when you don't face the darkness when it's there and reach for support, reach for your family, reach for other... When you isolate yourself and you... That's when it twists. That's when that darkness can take over, that demon can take over in in a figurative sense and in a very much a literal sense in this episode, in in this season.
2: And we can't forget the very last scene of this episode when we find out that Grace's room is, in truth, Nikki's studio. Brilliant. Uh, that, that's brilliant. That's very well done. And you are left like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <dear.
1: laughs>
2: yeah, you said a lot more uh, ledgy-like, Zoe, but yeah, the, the point was <laughs> <about> exactly that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, but that was it. That's again, like there's so many things that they throw into the in the writing and the creation of these stories and the visual elements that just I continuously think back and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is the source of of his of his darkness of his uh, of his demon and and then, of course, you've got the food rotting
1: the the, the maggots and just oh. maggots, yeah, 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 all that creepy. Graces, detroit divorce detroit divorce the where de- there are demons there's detroit divorce there's dust and I'm like, ah, <laughs> that's a demonic possession i came to love in series one there's <laughs> insects and dust
0: yep <laughs> that's where I again I, I i think back to this season of us like man they they what i personally think it's a better season than the first season with with all the different things that threw out there uh but this episode for me was one of those like God, these people are geniuses like in horror and they're and you can tell they're fans of horror and what that genre is about it's not just blood, scare, blah blood scared
1: you know it's, it's <laughs> this episode was a one of the few times in television and movies that actually scared me like and actually like i remember by the time you had the reveal I we was sitting on the sofa and goosebumps i dropped cold i wasn't comfortable looking out in my garden. I was so unsettled because there's so many things, especially the stuff that happens that happens later in the episode, that I was just like, and I don't scare easy, you know, like a diet of like Asian horror films. I mean, I really don't scare easy. And this episode hit a note and I hadn't quite been that scared in a very long time. And this episode did it. I was just like, I am totally wrong footed. I hadn't seen it coming. I, the stuff I had seen was far too close to the home it was just like there was just this total sense of dread yes. by the time this episode ended and I just sat there going I am not comfortable <laughs> Good horror does that to you and
0: like I God, I just that that demon I, can we just talk about the visual demon the, the of the
1: on the end of the bed the shadow man. I'm, I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit but he's a, he's a shadow a man shadow man they are yeah they are not a nice thing in most mythology shadow men but that one was one of the scariest shadow men probably because it looks very much like the thing that used to live at the end of my bed <laughs> so, <laughs> And I was like, ah, he's there. Oh god. Same. I'm watching, and again, I
0: knew I was. Pre- I was mentally prepping. I'm like, while i watch watching this episode, I'm like, the scary, the scary, shitty part's gonna come up, man. The scary shit. Just, just suck it up, man. Yeah. And I saw it again, and I'm still like, eh, and the lights are fully on. I mean, it's one in the afternoon here in the United States, so I'm just like, I'm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm turning into this like
1: bumbling baby I'm like, ah, why is this scaring me so much? Because it's just like, nopeing out, She's going, uh, nope. <gasps> nope, nope, nope. Oh. but the thing is because we know that like the writers and and I the actors know about and have sleep paralysis and night terrors so anyone who's ever suffered from sleep paralysis or night terrors will know that man that that man has been in my bed that has happened to me and it's just like if you've ever had sleep paralysis or a, or a, or a night terror it's so horrible because it's just you're awake when it happens and and shadow men Are notorious for appearing at times of high stress because they basically they feed off the energy of your stress. So like you could just it's a stressful situation. There's an entity because obviously it's it's a male figure that thing that shadow man. It's a male figure, so it's not the demon, but it's something else manifesting from the primordial energy that's just surrounding this family. And also it's just so much stress and so much like. There's so many emotions of all these kids and their backgrounds. And you get all of that in one place, and it's that it's that very much Asian belief of like, ghosts and spirits and um, curses don't automatically come from someone dying. They come from the energy left over from negative emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And these kids have a lot of baggage and a lot of negative emotions. This, this primordial thing that lives in this island is eating and feeding off this, all these negative experiences and giving birth to new forms and finally with the arrival of Harper it gets another interjection of negative experiences and emotions and energy and it therefore is able to manifest something and it goes straight for the anchors for Andy, it's like okay, so Andy and Rose are now becoming a thing, it needs to get rid of what's challenging it. It's now got the power to that, create something to scare you. Rose just off.
0: answered a question that came up in my head, like why did it go after Rose? Like, why is this some because Rose seems to be in a very healthy place, you know? She's she has is here to help and support. So, is it do you think that maybe they had this shadow man character go after Rose as opposed to going after uh one of the kids or you know do you think that was something because and, and i think you just answered it it's like that maybe it was because she was seen as something that could bring andy back to the good side bring it back to a healthy side
1: she technically doesn't live there she's the easiest one to get rid of she's got she does not have the depth of baggage that anybody else in that house does like even Andy obviously has death of his wife. All those children had their own like horrific experiences and treatments and stuff. She has the least, um, least food for any entity to feed off. She doesn't have negative experiences, she doesn't have negative emotions. She's also got the potential to unite this family and save this family and has a say on whether or not this family stays together. So just from the social worker point of view, she can say, no, let's close the house down. Then they would all move away and this entity would have nothing to feed off. Also, by getting close to Andy, she has the potential of taking away his attention and giving him something good. Because if he really falls in love with her, he starts moving on from the pain of losing Nikki. Therefore, this demon can't feed off that right. loss. You know, Even if it does scare Harper, it can't make Harper go away. And also he kind of needs that energy because by Harper arriving gave him the energy, gave it the energy to form Shadow Man in the first place. So it has to be Rose. She is the thing that's going to keep everything together. Even when Harper had her own night terror in the episode, Rose was the one that came in and calmed Harper. Mm. So any potential for Harper's night terror to be so bad that she might have been sent to a doctor's, not recovered for it, decided it was not the right place for it. Rose was able to calm and comfort and give her stability. Oh, yeah.
0: that's Oh my gosh. I didn't pick up on that. That's, that's yes. amazing.
1: So some, of the, some of the scenes are, I mean, there's obviously when Tomas is wandering around the house and Tomas hears Grace's footsteps. Yes. And that's a really interesting thing because at the time when he hears that, you're still thinking that Grace is potentially a real thing. But obviously oh, yeah. she's yeah. not, but Tomas hears, he can tell because he's like, why is that picture wobbling? something weird in this house someone's clearly watching me turns around nothing there but he hears the footsteps and he sees the door open to the upstairs obviously he gets distracted from going up to investigate because that could have nearly have been like the he could have gone up there and sussed it out so much yeah. earlier but like do you like, think he yeah. could
0: only hear it because he's like so dialed in like he's got this, this special demon power or whatever like it's just
1: yeah okay. yeah and the demon because this demon is separate from the other demons. This is like Gaia says. This is something that existed before Christianity and fallen angels. This is something older. So she doesn't have this knowledge of who Tomas is and what he can mm-hmm. do yet. So I think she's, she's testing to see what he can and can't do or whether or not he can be of use yeah, to her. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's like showing, showing physical signs in front of him, noticing he's picking up on it and going, okay, can I use this guy? Is he going to hinder the plan, or is he going to exactly? Help the and then, so what if do
0: because I I'm I'm so fascinated by again Marcus and Tomas's you know relationship as as Tomas continues to grow in his connection with God or whatever that being is that's guiding him in this direction. Then Marcus's own pain of the fear of God being now removed and not talking to him. And we see uh, what I thought was a pretty big scene is when they're sitting together over the beers and they have that conversation of. Of of about God's voice, um, and and Marcus becomes even more vulnerable, opens his his heart out to Tomas to say why wh- why he's feeling what he's feeling uh, at least um, the empty, empty picture, picture.
1: Yeah. yeah, which is, called, is it, uh, such a like because obviously I don't know what pictures mean in other cultures. Whenever I think of pictures, you literally think a picture of cocktail, a picture mm-hmm. of beer. Like, that thing, yeah. you know, yeah. it yeah. like, it's a big thing, you know, love and drinking in it and like, But it's, it's really weird that Tomas' place was like like a baseball <laughs> pitcher. Yeah. And I'm just like, I would never have thought of that in a million years. I'm like, Tomas, <laughs> you, you're not even like, like 100% like American. You're like Hispanic. Why have you got a baseball <laughs> okay, pitcher just... not a pitcher of water? Or the fact that you guys, I, I called the scene beers on pier because there's uh, the pier. beers on the pier. And it's just like, yeah. You're literally drinking a beer on a pier, and someone says "pitcher," and your brain doesn't go "what (laughs) pitcher?"
0: I think I think it's supposed to be like Marcus, (laughs) like maybe a little bit of lightness there, a little little comedy. (laughs) Yeah,
1: just to kind of after all the scares and the horror (laughs) we've been having, but then it goes straight back into like Marcus kind of being a bit lost and confused because he's also just had that encounter with Peter. And Peter's like, oh, do you want yeah. my number? And Marcus is like, <laughs> wait a minute. Oh, no. Yes, please. No. Yes. Oh, no. This guy's asking me Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to show smile really shyly and look really awkward. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I've never seen you look more like coy and awkward. Marcus. <laughs> you're just like, you have no idea what to do with this guy going, hey, you. And you're just like, uh,
0: well, this is it also, uh, yeah, it, it, this is the first time that we see in ever that Marcus is being flirted at. By by a, a new character, I fell in love with Peter Morrow or Osborne, whatever his name is. <laughs> it's actually Osborne in canon, but it, there was some internet debacle. Um, but but I loved that they introduced Peter's character to to to, to somebody as the voice of Marcus's transition into a man it, not 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 priest but man and and just the the light conversation they're having with on the water is it was it was very well done I would I would watch a whole movie of them just chat, just
1: yeah. yeah yeah that's it It done so sweet it was just like hey I picked up cues I liked you I've said something and it's just it was so natural and so easy and so just just innocent in all the darkness that's going on and some of the stuff we've seen it was just a really innocent and beautiful scene of two guys going hey, hey and I don't know, it's just something really just sweet and lovely and you just can imagine how nurturing a person Peter could be for Marcus, in that brief moment you get the fact that he's a Peter's a good man yeah, and obviously sees that there's something in Marcus that he'd like to Know and help, help with.
2: Right. Peter is introduced like uh, mm, a character who can bring balance. He tries to suit um, Shelby's fears using logic to explain what happened with the lamb, with the uh, crows, and all, all things that are making Shelby really scared. And at the same time, it can be a balance and a path that Marcus could choose to to walk with. Um, Peter, uh, like you said, is the one character who can help him to translate into being a man and not just a priest. We had some, some flashes of the kind of man Marcus could have been if the church didn't find him so early in his life. The father figure, the lover, the kind man who really wants to help others, not because he must, but because he really wants to. We know uh, all those uh, paths are only an illusion for him because deep down he will always be father Marcus, the exorcist. Mm -hmm. But at least now we know that there is a possibility for him to be happy even after the church betrayal, because we must remember it was the church who betrayed Marcus, not God. I'm still pretty sure that God is... They're screaming, I'm here, just listen to me, like Thomas points out. Perhaps it's you who are not listening. Yeah, mm-hmm. I am pretty sure that's exactly what is happening. Because uh, God simply can- doesn't stop to talk to you. It's you who stops to listen because uh, guilt and sorrow and pain overpower his voice. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure he's there screaming, listen to me. I'm still here. <laughs> listen to me. Oh, my God. Uh, listen uh, to me. Did, yeah. No,
0: and I, I think that they did a really good job of coaching Tomas in the conversation with the beer on the piers uh, or, or Alfonso to represent what god is doing and did you notice when marcus is saying these things and his doubts and i don't even know if he's listening what does he say um that maybe he's sent a replacement and he, he's 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 being very he's, he's revealing his his heart and you see alfonso reaches his hand over to touch uh ben yeah. and but he retracts ben retracts and Again, I think that 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 subtlety yeah. was was done intentionally to show, look, I'm I am here, you know. If if Thomas is the representation of God now speaking through him, but he he pulls back. So I just, uh, yeah. It, it,
1: I, and and again, it just breaks your it's, heart. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's a lot to say that Marcus at this point, because obviously he's trying to decide who he is now. He's not a priest, and he's torn between. He literally just got an offer of what he could be if he wasn't a priest. Like Peter saying, like, oh, well, this is a beautiful island. If you wanted to live somewhere, like, you know, you could, this could be a place you could live. And he's like, oh, this is the life you could have if you gave up all this this other stuff. And then, and then so Marcus is like, oh, I could have another life. But because of that, he's now feeling guilty and jealous, not jealous. He's now feeling guilty and, oh, what's the word? he feels like, I don't know, he's letting God down by, like, if he accepts a life as not as a priest and exorcist, he's a letdown he's to cheating. God. He's, and he's so cheating. He's cheating on his vow here's God. of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. And he will, yeah, exactly. So, so if he does listen to God, he's worried that God's going to tell him, like, you're, yeah, you're cheating on me. You're, you're planning on having a normal, regular life when you swore you would always be, you know, my soldier. And at the same time, he's torn between wanting to master replace him so he has an excuse and a reason to accept a normal life and finally just have some normality and, and the fact that he doesn't want to be replaced because he still wants to be useful. He's just such, he's on that and that's why he can't hear God because he's got too many decisions to make of who he wants to be and before you can suss out what God wants from you, you've got to work out who you are and where you want to be in life and that's where he's totally torn. And that's, It's also really interesting how he's the one that's finished his beer, and he's literally looking at the bottom of an oh. empty glass, and he's talking about being filled up and being empty. But he is empty. He's an empty glass at the moment, and he's just sitting there staring at the bottom of the glass as if like it's going to yeah. give him some kind of answer. As if like you're not going. And there's an expression about like not. You won't find answers staring at the bottom of a right. of a glass kind of thing. And he's literally like just sitting there in the scene, trying to like Marcus. You can find have an answer in it. your cake and eat it too. You can have the best of both worlds. You
0: can be a man of God. You can be the exorcist, but you won't be lonely because you know what? You've got this boyfriend named Tomas, who's going to be there with you. Like, like
1: you can have yeah, it all. Exactly. Is like, mm-hmm. like you believe in me, and he's like, "Yes, I believe in you, Thomas." And it goes yeah. back round to the like, like Thomas isn't <laughs> yeah. leaving you, Marcus.
2: He's so bad he still loves you and he wants to do it with and you. And <laughs> we can't forget something. When you have the empty glass and you look through the empty glass, you magnify what you see. So Aww. the empty the Ooh, empty glass okay. it's only a way to see things clearly, more clearly. But he doesn't get that yet. Marcus doesn't get it and we can see how things are slowly switching in season one all Marcus believed in was God he lived his life serving God now he believes in Thomas we can see slowly we can see Marco slowly changing his point of view, his perspective of life, but it's a slow motion Mm -hmm. and he doesn't, he's still too blinded by his self-loathing to see that just because one door was closed behind him, another one is right in front of him and it's open for him. Exactly
0: makes him an even more tragic character because we see it we know what he needs and what he needs to do but he doesn't see it <laughs> so let's let's talk about that so the final deep dive uh, discussing the big ending sequence where we have uh, the the kind of you know grace going outside for the first time being held by Andy and they're playing and everything is glorious but then we see a twist and it's actually not so <laughs> glorious because we see it through the viewpoint of somebody who yeah. Has, has, is not being <laughs> confused by a demon. Um, yeah. So, again, I, I've spoken on it already. I love the musical choices of uh, during this time. I think it was, it's yes. it perfectly done to showcase how shit, how much shit has happened. Like, it's just, it's, it's it, how deep. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, I wrote it down I in the piece of music that's yes. triumphant. Yes. And so, cause like, I mean, when you re- when you rewatch it, the thing that got me was when Grace calls Andy Daddy, and it didn't sound right. I was like, that's a creepy way to call him Daddy. Daddy <laughs> creepy. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, um- yeah that's a bit creepy and then like so when you first but then you first watch it they go outside and the music it's all triumphant it's like yay grace can go outside it's wonderful and then obviously with the knowledge it's not triumphant because grace can go outside it's triumphant because grace yes. got andy it's yes, actually the exactly. demon that won and that's why the music triumphant good and great because the demon's like yay <laughs> i got him and the two of them are having a lovely old time in the garden. And then Rarity comes in and she's like, go, <laughs> what? That's, what? Why is, can you imagine being Rarity and just seeing Andy like spinning no, in the garden? I, <laughs> I, I, like, I If I were
0: Rarity, I would burn everything to the ground. I would say, Andy, there's a demon, we're getting out of here, burn it. <laughs> burn it all.
1: Yeah, I would just be like, what is going on? But she, she takes her time to kind of go, something's something's not right. And then obviously, like they go upstairs to the bedroom, Grace and Andy, and they have that conversation about being together forever. And he's like, yes, we'll be together forever. I'm like, oh my God, you literally just yeah, signed a yes! contract with this demon. You have verbally agreed to be of it forever and you've just you've just given up your soul and it's like, well, and then Verity has a sense to kind of like stay back, wait for Andy to wander off. Then she goes upstairs and you see that it's Nikki's art studio. You see all that stuff. And it's that really... Point, you know, I don't The line resonates with Verity's like, is somebody here? As if she, she's cottoned on that there's something unnatural beyond the Andy, like, there's some presence in this space. And it's just like, and then I just remember my heart going, Oh, god, I just lost that. I was unsettled before, and being like, Holy moly, gracious <laughs> and brave. Ah!
0: S- same. I completely was, it blew my mind, it still blows my mind that I missed it all along. <laughs> it was- so cool
1: yeah
2: <laughs> i just had a, a curiosity more than things for the writing room the name of the fallen angel who got sister dolores yes yes uh, and we haven't oh, even yeah.
0: We, yeah we didn't even talk much about dolores and mouse and, and they were a big part of this episode so so please please Gaia, share everything
2: uh, so um when bennett who right now is tasting his own medicine because it's clear he doesn't want to follow Mal's rules exactly like Marcus didn't want to follow his rule in episode one, season one. Uh, When he asked the sister Dolores, her real name and the the fallen angel hence were Marjani. Mirjani, it could be, it could have a double meaning. It could be rooted in the word Messiah, that Messiah in Hebrew. So, the one who leads, the one who is chosen by God to lead someone. Or also, it's the word still in Hebrew who represent the whole entirety of the fallen angels. So basically what the the demon is telling Bennett is uh, we are all here already. All the fallen angels are already here and we are waiting for the one to lead us. So the one war you think is still to come is already here. And we are powerful enough. We are waiting for our leader. Sister Dolores is basically telling Bennett that they are only waiting for one person before they win the war.
0: Who do you think that person would be if it had continued on, Gaia? If
2: if I had to take a guess, I think the only one who could... uh, Host Lucifer is Thomas, because uh, in truth uh, uh, there is another thing that Bennett tells Mouse. Because the demons are talking, uh, we think right now that Thomas is the most powerful. Yes, he probably is between Marcus and Thomas. Thomas is the most powerful right now, but we uh, we must understand that they must be together. But not only friends are always side by side, even enemies are. So if Thomas is the host for Lucifer, we need Marcus to fight the integration before it's too late. Mm -hmm. Thomas has too many doors open right now. And we know that God is not going to send another time his son to save us all. So, we can guess that this time the one who will come is his enemy.
0: The Antichrist, if, right?
2: Yeah, if the enemy take Tomas, someone must save Tomas. And who, be- who better than Marcus himself? Hmm.
0: I would have loved to have seen that play <laughs> oh, out. Yeah, with like,
2: oh, well. as, as
0: very attractive uh, Alfonso Herrera does a good job of playing an innocent Tomas, evil Tomas would be... Quite titillating. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you for sharing that. At this next part, just want to say that we are uh, so thankful for everyone listening, and we are continuing to grow as a show, and would like to get your feedback. So, if you have somebody in mind that is uh, doing good, awesome work. Uh, for either the exorcist community or even the horror community in general and, and shout out to them. So just write me, let me know. We'd love to, 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 you know, do a shout out to them and then to say, thank you for you know listening. And of course, if you have anything that you want to hear more of as well as we grow in the show, possibly we're going to be leaning even more into horror as a whole, analyzing uh, more TV shows and movies from that genre you know, give us some feedback, let us know what you'd like to hear. And just, uh, again, just really thankful for, for the team that we have, the family out there, uh, keeping it strong, keeping Exorcist uh, alive in your hearts and and horror alive in, in general. And uh, just thank you. I think we, so we're done. Yeah, we did it.
2: Hey, we did it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we did it. Peace yeah. and love. Peace and love. We did it.